you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. We're going to jump into our text for this morning. Uh, We're in Joshua chapter 9. And so can I encourage you, get your Bibles, open them up. um, And this morning, just to shake things up a little bit, we're going to uh, have a video read the Bible for us. Uh, Let's do that now. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country, and in the lowland all along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? And where do you come from? They said to him, From a very distant country your servants have come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon the king of Heshbon, and to Og king of Bashan, who live in Ashtoreth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. Church, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, good morning. Uh, Hope you are well today. Thank you for joining us. I want to extend my welcome to you if you are new with us. Uh, it's great to have you here in church. Uh, I know coming into church can be a bit of a confronting situation, a whole bunch of uh, good-looking people, let's be honest, um, but um, you know, into, a, into a room where people are singing and uh, there's these things going on, but uh, so thankful that you have joined us today. Uh, we pray that... Um, yeah, you would be uh, powerfully met by the, the beauty and the wonder um, that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Um, and yeah, I'm hoping that as we walk through our text today, um, that uh, you would behold the goodness of God um, and that we would be able to help you on that journey um, 
toward coming to know Jesus, uh, being known by Jesus, uh, and then ultimately uh, coming to a point of being empowered and equipped to make Jesus known uh, to all of Brisbane and the world around us. Uh, For my sake, uh, and probably even your sake, let's pray quickly um, and then jump into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Thank you that you have gathered us together uh, by um, the powerful work of Jesus on our behalf. Uh, We thank you that you have gifted us your word. Uh, Thank you that it is good for our our teaching, our rebuke, for our equipping um, and for training us in all righteousness that we might live for you and by you for your glory. Uh, I pray that you would uh, be speaking to our hearts this morning as we come to your word. Uh, Help me to be uh, speaking clearly and concisely uh, and that your spirit would work among us. Amen. And hey, well, uh, a great British TV comedy game show called Would I Lie to You uh, is one of my personal favourites. Um, I know it probably doesn't rank highly on, like, is this moral or not, but it's hilarious. Uh, the game show is made up of two teams, uh, and the, the way you play it is uh, that one team has to talk about a story, so they, they present a story, uh, and it's usually quite outrageous. The stories in themselves are hilarious, but then the other team actually needs to ask questions to try and get insight uh, as to the, the truthfulness um, of that story. And the, the idea is that eventually the, the other team have to decide if the story that was told was a true uh, story or a lie. Um, now, text today could have been set up as one of those episodes. Uh, you could imagine the, the Gibeonites on one side of the room and Joshua and the Israelite elders are on the other side of the room. And then let's come and hear their story again. Joshua chapter 9 and reading from verse 9 through to 13. So the Gibeonites said to Joshua, from a very distant country your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon the king of Heshbon and to Og king of Bashan and who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new, and we fill, and when we filled them, and behold, they have burst. And these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey." You can imagine they'd be, as they're trying to tell this story, they'd be holding up the props, holding out the the crumbly bread, showing them the broken wineskins. They'd be taking their crumbling sandals off and putting that in front of them, showing them how dirty and uh, well-travelled that they are. And uh, with this game show, as I said before, they've got to get to the point where they decide, is it truth or lie? And we see, uh, actually, that Joshua and the Israelites completely fall for it and say with all certainty, this is the truth. And verse 15 tells us that Joshua made peace with them, they made a covenant with them, and they let them 
live and the leaders of the congregation swore to them. The author, in fact, wants us to understand just how serious Israel's commitment is, just how uh, duped the Israelites were by the Gibeonites. He doesn't just double down on the result, but he triple downs on the result. He says that Joshua made peace, Joshua made a covenant, and the leaders swore to them. Joshua and all the Israelites are all in on their commitment to the Gibeonite tricksters. Now, the the great part about this game show is that once sort of these decisions have been made, then the team that told the story gets the opportunity to reveal whether it was a truth or a lie. Uh, Now, in our text, uh, we don't exactly have a moment where they hit the buzzer and it comes up on the screen, true or lie, Uh, but we are told in in the next few verses that three days later, Joshua and the Israelites find out the truth. That these people are, in fact, close neighbours and a part of the people that God had devoted to destruction that Israel had been commanded to completely remove from the land in the continuing campaign of ridding sinful pagan nations from the land that God was gifting to his people. The people had been completely tricked, completely duped uh, and uh, Now the Israelites have to come face to face with the fact that they have made a covenant with people that they were not meant to make a covenant with. Which leads to our first point for this morning. Lean on God's wisdom. Verse 14 uh, makes it really clear for us that Joshua and Israel acted foolishly in this scenario. There's a a really clever contrast uh, that comes across in the way that it's written. Verse 14 says that, so the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. The theologian Francis Schaeffer points out that uh, what is emphasized in the text is that the men of Israel had their eyes locked in on the props that the Gibeonites were producing, instead of uh, going and hearing God. In fact, in the Hebrew, you can notice the author is playing on words. Verse 14a, a, a more literal translation of the Hebrew would be that the men took and even ate some of the bread. And verse 14b, but they did not consult the mouth of the Lord. And so it's like they consulted their own mouths with the bread, but they did not consult the mouth of God for his wisdom. They were quick to trust their own mouths quick to trust what their own senses, their own capacities could tell them about this, but they did not consult God's mouth, his word or his wisdom. And church, I think there's a a careful lesson for us in that. Careful because uh, it's, um, you know, we don't want to go too hard in on this specific lesson, but we can ignore the gift of common sense and wisdom that God has given us. He's given us capacities to make wise decisions. We should use those, but there is also a danger of becoming too reliant upon ourselves. You see, the people of Israel actually did have a very uh, traditional, set-up, customary way of even finding out a particular truth about something. If they had taken the time, if they had sort of said to the Gibeonites, all right, stay here, 
wait a moment, we're going to go and figure this out together. They actually had practices that they would come together with the priests, with the wise people of their nation, and they would come and consult God to uh, find out if what they're being told is the will of God or not. And yet in their haste, in their rush, they make the decision in and of themselves, trusting too heavily upon their own capacities, their own ability to see, touch, feel, and therefore make a choice without consulting God. However, the other cliff uh, that we can fall off when we're we're thinking about uh, wise living and, and making wise choices is that we can live our life expecting that God will tell us absolutely every single detail and so we don't make any of our own decisions and we end up being stuck day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, stuck because we're so fearful of making what might be uh, a bad or an unwise choice. God has given us wisdom to do things. I for one don't consult God on what breakfast to have every morning. If you do that's great but I reckon that's a pretty long process to figure out if it's wheat bix or toast, yeah? But God has given us certain capacities to understand how to go about figuring out certain things. And sure, there are bigger decisions that we should bring before God. And that's what our text is helping us to see today. But I think that the antidote to either cliff of foolishness is actually found for us in Proverbs chapter 3. Come with me to Proverbs chapter 3 in your Bible. If you don't own a Bible, by the way, we would love to gift you a Bible. Uh, you can see our welcome team afterwards. We'd love to put that in your hands. Uh, and more than just learning how to read it on a Sunday, we'd love to partner with you to help you read your Bible well also. So um, please make full use of that. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3, and I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 8. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favour and good success in the sight of God. And man, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. What does it mean to lean not on your own understanding? That means don't rest in it. Don't find your security in your own capacity to understand the world or understand the decisions that need to be made. I've um, I've mentioned this story before, but when our family moved from Dubbo to Brisbane, I was shocked by how ridiculously qualified the people are in this church. We've got enough PhDs in this room to sink a ship uh, and all sorts of great qualifications doing great work across our city. And in our environment, it can be easy for us to trust our intellectual capacities of ourselves, but we should be finding our rest our security not in our own understanding because otherwise it will not be long until we end up like Joshua and the Israelites falling for a gambit of the enemy falling for a gambit of our culture and landing right in a position that we don't want to be in 
So how do we lean not on our understanding? We acknowledge God in all our ways. You know, that is probably not the most helpful translation of the Hebrew uh, in that verse, the Hebrew word yada, uh, which is probably better translated as know, as in knowing something or knowing someone. In other words, if you want to rest in God's wisdom for your life, know God. Don't just acknowledge God as if it's like a, a tip of the hat to the wise corner of the room. Like if we're, if we're going to go and remortgage our house or look at buying a house or whatever, we go and have a, a conversation with a mortgage broker or with a banker or with a real estate agent and we get their wisdom, but then we still end up making our decision. It's more than just tipping our hat to the wisdom in the room or that's available to us. It's actually that our, our very wisdom that we are being shaped and formed in comes from knowing God. In our knowing God, we come to know God's character, God's ways. And as we know God through his word in our gathering together, uh, Peter was mentioning our gospel communities earlier on, a great opportunity to be in the room with other faithful Christians as we're looking at God's word and then we're challenging one another as how to we are, how we are living according to God's word, how we're making decisions according to who God is and how he has taught us. And also as we grow in intimacy with God in prayer. It's good for us to know that we can ask God for wisdom also. James the Apostle says in James uh, chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. We are shaped and formed to make decisions that rest in God's wisdom and God's ways. And I wonder what important decisions you have sitting before you right now. Decisions about finances in our uncertain economic climate. Decisions around relationships. Maybe where your marriage is at right now. Uh, whether you should get married. Whether you should say yes to that coffee, just say yes. Um, <laughs> wisdom. Um, decisions on our work, on our study, uh, decisions on our family life. Where is our security resting when we are thinking about making those decisions? Is it in our own capacity to think through the, the issues, like a pros and cons list, come up with that and go, all right, the pros outweigh the cons, let's just do it. Or is it resting in the wisdom, mercy and goodness of our God? Now, moving to Brisbane, um, it was a huge decision that we made two years ago uh, to move our family up here. And we went through the classic pros and cons list. Uh, they were long lists. There were a lot of really good things about staying in Dubbo, staying with family, staying with friends, staying with this uh, great house that we built three years prior that we loved. Um, and, you know, in Dubbo, you can get anywhere in five minutes. It's fantastic. But there were also cons. And so we did the weighing up, but in the end, we realised that we had to trust God. We knew that 
God is about the gospel. He's about the proclamation of his word, his, his word of truth that is life and salvation for all of us in Jesus Christ. God is about his glory and he's about our good. So even though it wasn't easy leaving what we had in Dubbo, coming here with two kids, there was plenty to be terrified by, but God in his kindness opened the right doors and today we understand a little bit better about why he did it. We did the pros and cons thing. We had what was weighing heavy on our heart, not wanting to leave what we were comfortable in, familiar in, uh, very easy to see ourselves staying there for a very long time and yet trusted God because we lent into knowing who he was, who he, what his character is, what God is on about in his mission in the world and that, felt, that uh, compelled us to come and trust God and so here we are making a mess of it. I think to fall off either cliff of either trusting in our own capacities too highly or being stuck and accomplishing nothing as we're waiting for the writing in the sky is actually neither of those options are ultimately trusting God. Neither of those options are trusting in God's wisdom, mercy or goodness. Both of those options are actually trusting in ourself. It's either trusting in our ability to do something or it's trusting in our ability to understand the very mind of God and, and make it up for God on his behalf. But ultimately, ultimately, resting in God's wisdom means we take wise steps of faith, trusting that our God is merciful. And we'll circle back to that in a moment. Back to our text in Joshua 9. It's striking for you and I today. Uh, as we see that the Israelites don't bail on their covenant. Check out verses 16 and 19 of chapter 9. It says, At the end of three days, after they had made the covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbours and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shephira, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them because of the because the lead, be, sorry because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders, but all the leaders said to the congregation, "We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not." touch them. They must have been furious, finding out they had been duped. But their leaders had sworn an oath to the Gibeonites, and not just any oath, but they had sworn by the Lord, the God of Israel. And it's a bit strange for us today to try and understand the seriousness of this covenant made. And even though it was made under false pretenses in bad faith, we see the Israelites honour the covenant because it was sworn in God's name. And with our modern ears on, we're tempted to want to void this covenant. We're so used to it in our politics, in our consumer deals, even in our world right now, there are politicians ripping up nuclear treaties, 
going back on words, going back on election promises. We're so used to being duped by people who are leading us with these great big promises and uh, great big dreams and visions that we're going to achieve incredible things and then this constant turning back on that. There's something for us to see in how Israel honours their oath to the Gibeonites because God takes our words seriously. And there's also an incredible example of the mercy of God towards his people here. When the Israelites made a covenant with the Gibeonites, they did something more than just being a bit unwise. They actually broke the law of God. God had commanded his people on numerous occasions not to make a covenant with the peoples of the nations um, of the land which God was giving them. Exodus 34, 12, for example, says, Be careful not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it become a snare among you. And yet, what really stands out in this text is that the author doesn't make much of this sin. The weight of the wrong certainly seems to be with the Gibeonites in their deception. In their deception. And yet what is explicit, what really jumps off the page as you're reading through chapter 9 is that Israel are obliged to keep their word. Verse 20 of chapter 9, it says that this we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore to them. The Theologian Dale Ralph Davis helpfully comments on these verses. He says, Naturally, we Christians in the West have a difficult time understanding why Israel sticks to this oath. That is because we have such a low view of the given word and such a flimsy concern for truth. Israel was stuck. They must not break an oath, though it had been wrongly obtained, because they had wrongly neglected the wisdom of God. So what to do? live as faithfully as they could within the twisted situation. And this demand spills over into the Christian experience. Sometimes God's people are called to live obedient amidst the results of their folly. There are times when our preferences, our conveniences, our justifications must not be allowed to dissolve those difficult situations. The people of Israel realise the very reputation of their God was at stake. And this, isn't some, this is something important for you and I to take notice of this morning. The question, what is our word worth? And Jesus takes up the issue of integrity in our commitments in Matthew 5, 33 through 37. And his brother, the apostle James, echoes Jesus' words in his letter, James chapter 5, verse 12. I encourage you, go and look those up today after the service. But in summary, the instruction is to be the kind of person who keeps their word, have the kind of integrity that when you say yes, you mean Yes, when you say no, you mean no. You don't have to rely on swearing an oath to prove your truthfulness, rely on your character, honouring God with your words. It's a, a bigger picture that's being brought into focus here. The 
the practice in uh, Jesus' day and the, the issue that he's commenting on is that people's word was so mistrusted that they would uh, start to swear by Jerusalem or swear by God or swear by whatever it might be to say, I'm actually telling the truth by saying I'm swearing to this. And so Jesus is calling out the rebuke there that if your, if your word is so flimsy that when you are telling the truth, you need to base it on your swearing an oath, surely that's speaking to a bigger character issue inside of us. And so the word this morning is to have our yes mean yes, our no mean no, for the sake of our representing the very character of God in the world around us. And how mind-blowingly countercultural is that? In a world where it's so easy for a politician, for our national leaders, for anyone to stand up in front of the media, to stand up on social media, uh, to write on Twitter or whatever it might be, these, these great big sweeping statements, but then the very next hour completely undercut their commitment and their word. We're so easily persuaded to give way on the truthfulness of our yes or no because the culture around us is so saturated by it. And yet here's the call in Joshua. Here's the call in, in the people of Israel. Here's the call in Matthew through Jesus. Here's the call in his brother James as he is reinforcing this word to represent the very honour and character of God through our integrity. Let our yes be yes. Let our no be no. We don't need to swear by something else in order to prove our faithfulness to anything. And so verses 26 to 27 Complete this story for us, saying that Joshua did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel, and they did not kill them, but Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. Joshua says to the nation, we've got to honour our word. We will not kill them. We swore an oath to them. We will represent the integrity of God's character and we will not go back on that covenant word. But there's also something to be seen of uh, the way that the Gibeonites tried to come into the people of God. We should be in our minds contrasting this story with Rahab. Rahab completely threw herself on the mercy of God. The Gibeonites tricked their way into the people of God. And it's direct, directly resulted. We see uh, Rahab's, um, her future, her destiny has become a part of the royal lineage of Jesus Christ himself. The heritage and the, the lineage of the Gibeonites is that they are to be drawers of water and cutters of wood, uh, which is a, like a Hebrew idiom for like simple labourers. And that was their portion uh, in Israel for all their days. So it's an incredible uh, illustration of God's mercy towards a people who did deserve death. But even in that, they tricked their way in and their, their, their lineage, what they lived in, was not an honourable place in the house of God, but it was a laborious, menial place in the house of God. But we do get to see the sovereign mercy of our God. God honours this covenant that Israel made with 
Gibeon. In fact, just jumping into chapter 10 a little bit to see the, the, this all fleshed out. Uh, in chapter 10, we see that the Gibeonites call upon Joshua and Israel to aid them. The, the other nations that Gibeon was a part of now realize that they've made a treaty with Israel. And so they partner up together to come and attack uh, Gibeon. It tells us they are terrified, uh, these other nations are terrified of Gibeon because verse 2 of chapter 10 tells us that Gibeon was actually a great city, uh, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than I and all its men were warriors. They were, they were a fearsome bunch and yet they feared God more. Israel comes to the aid of Gibeon, God gives them victory and not only did Israel honour their word but we see that God is ultimately the one who keeps his word. This takes us to our last point for this morning. Church, let's lean on God's word. All of this points us to the surety and security that you and I have in God's word. Church, we have such great assurance that God is true to his word. And this is the hope of the gospel, the good news of God's mercy and grace. The reality of God's oath-making and oath-keeping comes into glorious view. Francis Schaeffer again helpfully comments and he says, Let us remember that God insisted that the Israelites keep their oath, even though it was made because of the Gibeonites' deception. If God will not tolerate the breaking of his own oath made in his name, how much more will he never break his own oath and covenant made to us on the basis of the shed blood and infinite value of Jesus Christ? How secure are we who have cast ourselves upon Christ as Saviour? The author of Hebrews, he says in chapter 6, verse 13 through to 20, he says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the enters behind uh, the place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We who have fled for our refuge, all of us who fall upon the promise of our God, are like Rahab. We are like the Gibeonites. We hear of the might and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, and we flee to him for refuge. We can trust that our God is true. He is true to his character. Our God is true to his word. 
And we can have an even greater assurance than the Gibeonites had because both the oath that was made by God himself and it was sworn by himself and there is no higher power than God's own name and character. Christian, this is our great assurance and it's our great means of hope. Even if we make unwise decisions, even if we make mistakes and we all are very well aware of our ability to make mistakes, the mercy of God is there. We can throw ourselves completely upon his grace and goodness towards us and we have this truth as an anchor for our soul. And friend, if you're here today and you don't yet trust in Jesus as your saviour, hear this good news. We've been considering the seriousness of God's own word, his oaths. God has sworn by his great name that all who come to him will find rest. All those, like the Gibeonites, realise their weaknesses. And those who do realise that can come to him for mercy. All of us have made the wrong choices. All of us have wronged God, sinned against him. All of us are guilty. And the Bible says that, uh, and we've mentioned it a couple of times already this morning, that the wages of our sin, what we earn for our sin, is death. Just like these Gibeonites, they should have been put to the sword. And yet God in his great might and mercy has made a way for us to be saved. He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to live perfectly on our behalf the life that we should live, to die a death on the cross, sacrificially in our place, the death that we should have died. And God raised Jesus to life three days later, proving his victory over sin and over death. And now we have this great hope that if you and I place our trust in Jesus for our salvation, our sins are forgiven. We are raised to spiritual life in Jesus and one day we will be raised to new life, to be eternally in God's good presence. This is the good news for all who will, like the Gibeonites, hear the might and mercy of God and trust in him. So I invite the band up this morning. I'm going to pray a little bit differently than how I normally would. Uh, I'm going to pray a prayer uh, that will include a sorry, a thanks, and a please. And this morning, if you are with us and this is the first time you've heard the gospel or you've, you've been joining us and you've been hearing the good news of what Jesus did on your behalf, I want to offer this as an opportunity to take the word seriously this morning, to recognise the unwise choices you've made in not living for God and to throw yourself upon his good grace and mercy towards us in Jesus. I'm going to pray a prayer that says that we are sorry for our un unwise living. I'm going to pray a prayer that says, thank you for sending Jesus on my behalf. I'm going to pray a prayer that says, please help me to live in, through and for Jesus now. If you're here this morning and you don't yet follow Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, can I ask you to really listen into this prayer? And if it's 
speaking to you, if it's something that's grabbing a hold of your heart, can I encourage you to let your yes be yes. And then please come and talk to myself. Uh, Come and talk to one of our welcome team. If you came to church with somebody today, please talk to them. We would love to journey with you as you step into knowing this incredible God who even though our sins deserve death, has gifted us life and light through the work of his son, Jesus. Let's pray together this morning. Our Father in heaven, we are sorry that we have lived unwisely. We have made choices to ignore you. Even though your word tells us that Your goodness and glory is so evident to us in all of creation, in all of good gifts that we receive from you. We're sorry that we have ignored that, that we have chosen to live our own way, to make our own choices in our own abilities and capacities. Sorry that we have rebelled against you and your right ways. Sorry that we have hurt others with the wrongs that we have committed in our lives. Heavenly Father, thank you that although we have done these wrongs, you have offered us salvation through your son, Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to live the perfect life that we were meant to live. Thank you that you sent him to die that sacrificial death on the cross that we deserve to die. Thank you that you raised him to life powerfully victorious over sin and death. And thank you that you have made a way for us to be brought back into right relationship with you. Father, I ask that you would please help us to live for Jesus. Help us to take our big decisions before you, to consult the words of your mouth, to not be convinced by our own ability, uh, our own intellectual capacities or our own pride and ego, but may we throw ourselves upon your mercy. Heavenly Father, please help us to live for Jesus. Help us to live in this world around us, representing your very character, one who has absolute integrity, one whose word is sure, Please, Heavenly Father, help us to be equipped and empowered to take this incredible message of the life and light that we have through your Son, Jesus, to all the world around us. Lord, I pray for those who are with us this morning, who are on the very edge of trusting you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use this prayer this morning to reveal the goodness of your gospel to them. And I ask that you would help them to, in themselves, say sorry for their sin, thank you for your mercy, and ask that you would please help them in your grace. We ask these things in your powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, Or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.